The English talk about weather a lot. I deliberately haven't every time I've been up here teaching, but I am a little bit today. Uh, This coming week, apparently there's going to be some good weather. And what I found is when it's a nice sunny day, my typical favorite weather is like 70 to 80, a light breeze, not too humid, not too many mosquitoes, no chores to be done, and just sit outside and read. That's a good day for me. Apparently some are coming up this week. Now, you can really appreciate how good the day is if you get up at dawn. Now, I am not a morning person. I wish I was. But the few times I've got up early, there's something even more beautiful when you see the sun rise from the horizon. That whole beautiful day has a totally different meaning. Friends, we're in a season of church life where we're going to be watching the sun rising. There's a great significance to those of us who are here. This potentially, potentially is the last day we ever do set up, tear down. Think 15 years of set up, tear down. It's potentially the last one. There might not be that many people here to see it, but the next month or two, you could be able to say, I was there. We were there when the stakes were down, when doors were closing uh, in this immediate facility, and we were there when doors opened. And not only was it an encounter for God for ourselves, but we wanted to walk closer with him, closer with one another. And our faith would move, just not from praying for ourselves and growing, but our faith would look out to others. I want to share that good news with others. So you're going to have a significant next two months. Not going to be that many people to start with to see it. But this time next year, you could say, I was there. I was there when it seemed like, uh, what's happening? When are the lights coming up? And you saw the sunrise. And the day will be even more beautiful because of it. Uh, God is opening a load of doors behind the scenes at the moment. I'm not going to go into them, but it's been freaking me out a little bit. I'd rather go into them uh, when I've got some more definitive things to say in regard to it. But definitely some very tangible options in relation to a nearby place to worship in. Uh, A few other weird things where people have reached out. um, Perfect timing is what I'm going to say. So you were there. And keep coming. Keep pursuing God. Keep keep your focus on Him. And you'll see that He's a good, good Father. There are times when it seems, uh, where is He? And then we look back with a hindsight of time and think, He was there all along. And this is going to be one of those moments. God was there all along. He loves his church. First Disney film I saw was Snow White. I liked it because of the dwarfs, uh, nice different characters. Since watching it with my daughters, I see that uh, when the handsome prince kisses his wife, not his wife, uh, Snow White, and she rises up, the church is like Snow White. It's Christ's bride. doesn't belong to anyone. It's not my pet project. It's, not, it's none of our kind of things that we own. It's Christ's bride. And he is leaning down and kissing us at the moment, whether we are aware of it or not. And you're going to see her rise up. And Christ is committed to the point of dying on the cross for his people and for his church. Thank you. That's not the message. (laughs) I just felt very prompted to share that. 
Uh, people love finding out about their history. When you come to America, some of the first things you find are people will ask where you're from. Are you from Australia? I'll say no. They'll say Scotland. I'll say no. I'll say England. Uh, and then it's kind of awkward. In any case, they will tell me about relatives they have. Have you? Oh, you're from England. Do you know a, do you know a Kevin so-and-so? Do you know a so-and-so? My uncle had a castle in blah, blah, blah. And it, you, there's this deep knowledge of history in America, like where have you come from? Today, we're going to find out where we have come from. So each one of us, as a follower of Christ, it started with his disciples. This is where Jesus said to them, this is what it looks like to follow me. So I've been here nearly a year, or just over a year now. A lot of people here have been here from the beginning, or 15 years, or 13 years. Imagine what it was like, cast your mind back to being with Jesus. He's been healing people. Crowds are following him around Galilee. There's a big commotion at this man. And he has picked 12 people. Can you imagine how good it must have felt to have been picked by him? And he says, come, follow me. I make you fishers of men. And then he goes away from the crowds. They had this temptation, the disciples, to be, whoa, I'm in his entourage. This is going to be good for me. You can imagine them walking up the hill as Jesus is beckoning them. Hey, kind of give the wink and the point at the crowd that aren't allowed up. Got the little pass. Uh, They go up there and he sits them down and he gives this new law. He says, this is the way of the world. But my kingdom is totally different from that. And he goes through the Beatitudes. We're going to look at the final two today. The Beatitudes, as you can find out in the last three messages, which are online, are discipleship steps. They're progressive steps to get you to a position of faith in Jesus. That's the one where it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then there's a couple more after that. Last week we did, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, and blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Today we're going to look at the following two after that. Before I do that, I'm going to pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that we have your scripture. Thank you that we have uh, Matthew who has recorded carefully all that he heard, all that he saw that was there, and put it down that we may benefit from it in our current age. Father, help us to hear spirit to spirit, Lord, what it is and how you're calling us to respond to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read from chapter 5 all the way from verse 1 through to verse 12. Uh, Verses 11 and 12 are actually the last beatitude. But they're just a bit more of an explanation of it. So you'll hear at the end of the Beatitudes is when I say the kingdom of heaven. Then there'll be a couple more verses which explain that last Beatitude. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then uh, Matthew includes the next bit, which is an explanation from Jesus about that last beatitude. As blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, the Beatitudes will be, here's a characteristic. This is someone who's blessed. It means someone who doesn't want for anything spiritually, like it is well with their soul. And then it's a surprising characteristic. It's different from the world's characteristics. And then it says what the reward is. So here, we find out that someone is blessed if they are peacemakers. And the reward is they'll be called children of God. Now, peacemaking follows being pure in heart. Last week, we said that pure in heart is being very, very consistent. It's being sincere in everything. So there's not two Andes. There's one that teaches on a Sunday, and then there's one that goes to Vegas midweek. It says, no, there's a, there's a consistency and a sincerity. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means honesty and authenticity and a desire to change. When you're honest and authentic, when you're sincerely sincere, that's when peace can happen. That's when you can really look at all the different details, have your own motives aside, and pursue peace. Now, when we often think of peace, we think of an absence of war. That's kind of a passive sense of peace. The Hebrew word shalom, which means harmony or peace, is very, very active in its word. It doesn't just mean absence of conflict. It means actively seeking the best for someone, actively doing what is good for someone. Now, there are different types. Uh, you're a peacemaker, so we want to actively pursue peace for people. When we're making peace, there's such a thing as cheap peace. Just like there can be cheap grace, there can be cheap peace. Imagine, if you will, a home situation that is abusive. Cheap peace would look like just being quiet in case there's another explosion. Like it's walking around on eggshells. That is not real peace. That's not real harmony. That is not a home where everyone is doing the best for one another. Peace does not mean we just appease one another. Like you've got North Korea, you have South Korea. They are not peacefully related, but there is this like level of appeasement between the two. That is not what Jesus is saying. If you are, he says, if you're following me, now this is your ancestors. This is where it very first began for you as a Christ follower. This is where he's saying, this is how you follow me. He says, you'll be a peacemaker. And there's two types of peace. The first one, redemptive peace. That's the peace that Jesus came to bring. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace with the Father, that God would no longer look upon our sins, but would instead look at Christ's perfection. And we would be at peace with God. We have been forgiven all of our sins. 
We have been given a new life, a new heart that beats from within, transforming us from the inside out. That's the peace that fundamentally we are given. So as peacemakers, we need to be sharing that good news with others. It's one thing to think, thank goodness, I've got fire insurance. I will typically think that person's not saved if that's all they're thinking in relation to the gospel. You've been invited to a banquet, a banquet to which everyone has been invited to. And it would be very strange if you come from a homeless group and other beggars and you find this banquet and you don't tell anyone else. That kind of spoils the whole point of the banquet. So when it says, be peacemakers, it's just, just as you've received peace from God, the more Christ-like you are, you will invite others into that peaceful relationship with God. We're looking at uh, that 75th anniversary of D-Day has just passed. We're coming up to VE Day, which is victory in Europe. Later on, the Americans signed a peace treaty with Japan. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but where they were fighting in the South Pacific, there were a whole load of much smaller, smaller islands where the Japanese had forces. And after a peace treaty had been signed, after there was no more war, People living on these South Pacific islands still thought there was a war going on. Different communication times, but when people went to those islands to say, no, we're no longer at war with America, they were shot at. Like there was peace, but they didn't believe it. And there's people all around the world that we're going to see today, even as we go out from here, who do not know a peace treaty has been signed with God by Jesus Christ. And they are still thinking they are at war with him. It's very strange, if you're a Christ follower, to find out about that peace treaty, but not to share it. So when Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers, it's like, blessed are you when you tell people about the peace that I am going to bring. And the reward uh, is that they will be called children of God. Children of God means that they're demonstrating the Heavenly Father's characteristics. Like we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves Christ followers. You get a kind of a strange reaction if you said, I'm a child of God to a completely random person. But it means you'll be called children of God, means you'll look just like your Heavenly Father. My son James uh, looks like me. He has adopted all of my bad habits as well. Uh, God doesn't have any bad habits. But the more we look like him, the more we'll reflect his character, the more we'll be called children of God. So on the one hand, when we make peace, it's having the gospel and sharing the gospel. On the other hand, the gospel is never done in isolation. It's never that personal peace. Like we are to bring the kingdom of God to this world. Yes, we cannot completely cover the world with God's kingdom before Christ comes again. But that isn't to stop us from giving all that we have to do that. It's not just a personal peace. It's bringing peace to the world. Think about it internationally. You could never have international peace unless you had peace in each nation. You could never have peace in each nation unless you had peace in all of the communities. 
You could never have peace in all of the communities unless you had peace in all of the churches. This is simplistic, but it's getting to a point. You never have peace in all of the churches unless you have peace among all the people. You never have peace among all the people unless you have the Prince of Peace. But it's not just a personal salvation. It is something that's meant to restore the world. So you have creation, the gospel story, Act 1. We have the fall, Act 2. We have redemption on the cross, Act 3. Jesus goes up to be with the Heavenly Father, and he is restoring everything in the process of it now. Each one, you and I, and we are meant to bring his kingdom to bear with us. The best way I can describe looking like God by being a peacemaker was written a prayer written by St. Francis of Assisi. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I remember hearing this and thinking, I like that. And then when you become a Christian and you see who God was, you can see the depth of soul and the depth of understanding what it took for this to be written. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Now Jesus, as he's been going through the Beatitudes, has been surprising them. First thing he said, the first beatitude, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying, blessed are you when you're spiritually bankrupt. It's like, whoa. He saved another big hitter for the last beatitudes. He said, after he found out all of these lovely, peacemaking, harmonious qualities that you have, you fulfill the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, you're going to think, people are going to like me. And he says this, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the bookend of the Beatitudes. He said, you pursue all of these discipleship qualities, and guess what the reward is? You are 100% going to be persecuted. And then he goes into detail. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As you are sat down and he says that, you are likely to have looked at the person next to you and kind of raised your eyebrows. As Jesus has been teaching, you think, I can sign up to some of this. Yeah, that's a good thing. I guess, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And then, oh, and you're going to be persecuted. They are aware of Jesus having crowds follow. They are aware of him being the it person. It was all very, very positive. And then he says, and when you fully follow me, you're going to be persecuted. Let's look at what he meant when he said that. Jesus is talking about two competing world values. He's outlined uh, what all of the kingdom of God values are. And in the midst of every kingdom of God value, that goes completely against a worldly value. So Christians are going to be persecuted because they represent God's kingdom going bang with the worldly kingdom. And people in the worldly systems do not like that. Before I became a Christian, I persecuted a Christian at work. 
I think I was 21, 22. Uh, we're taking a bus from where I lived outside Birmingham into the city center. We had professional training. She mentioned Jesus to me on the bus. I remember thinking, oh, this is so embarrassing. Please don't talk about this. I then took it upon myself for the remaining week to try and annoy her as much as possible. And if I'm honest, it's because I didn't like what she stood for. I stood for get what you can. She stood for do other things for others as you'd want them done unto you. I was using drink and drugs. She had a sober life. I was not peaceful, but I wore a lot of different masks pretending that I was. She had just a consistency to her. This is the level it went to. I got uh, Frederick Nietzsche's book, The Antichrist, and would read it at lunch break next to her, deliberately to annoy her. I don't know why. Deep down I did that. I regret it, of course. And it's a testimony to who God is, that he can take you from that to make you a follower of him. But it was just when you're not a Christian, you just look at Christians and you're spiritually tempted to persecute them. So it's this clashing of worldly values. So uh, poor in spirit, the worldly value it hits is pride and personal independence. Now, as I'm reading these out, pay attention. It's not just a, this is how unbelievers think. These are worldly values that have come into our church as well. So the Pharisee hears stuff and says, I'm glad I'm not like that. The Christian hears stuff and says, help me not become more like that. So there's mourning, worldly value, no regrets. You only live once. Meekness, worldly value, power. In fact, the Antichrist, the whole premise is meekness is pathetic. Power is all that you need. And he inspired the Nazi regime. Uh, Righteousness. Worldly value, worship yourself. Like what works for you, do it. That's in the church a lot. Like in big churches we've been part of, we're selling this wonderful product to people. And we're going to present it nicer, market it better, and we're going to give it to them. But they will do, some people if they're not fed with the Spirit, will uh, do what works for them and what doesn't they just won't do. So in the church, you have a lot of self-worship happening. Uh, Mercy. And then the world says, no, strength without feeling. Like if if you're merciful, you're just going to mess up what your target is. So this is why we have all of these uh, clashes. This is why we're persecuted. It says, pure in heart, deception is okay. Peacemaker. The worldly value is pursue personal peace without any concern for anyone else. Think of the adulterer. I'm at peace with this. I'm at peace with this. It's making me happy. I've just got one life. I don't want any regrets. Yeah, I'm sorry that it's hurting here and here and here, but I'm now at peace, and that's all that matters. We get that in the church as well, just dressed in slightly different clothing, but it's, am I okay? Then everything's okay regardless of the rest of the body. It's like my knee saying, I don't care that Andy's ears can't hear. I can bend. (laughs) But we're all part of the same thing. Finally, blessed are you when you are persecuted. The worldly value is give up when the going gets tough. 
It was going so well for Jesus. His disciples have just been picked. It seems to be going so well for them. Of course I'm going to follow you everywhere, Jesus. And even when it started getting dodgy, Peter said, I will never deny you. Oh, no, 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 no. And a moment later, he does. So the worldly value Jesus is teaching against when he's saying, be ready for persecution is weak commitments. When the going gets tough, just leave. Or if God doesn't seem to have been there for a period of time, maybe he isn't alive anymore. You can have a winter in Chicago and forget that summer is a reality that comes around each year. You can go through a spiritual wintertime and forget that there's a spiritual springtime and a summertime as well. Now, Jesus says, bless you and persecute it. And then there's the because of me, he says at the end of verse 11. When people persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus is talking about persecution. Persecution is what evil people do to good people. Persecution was me being a jerk, getting out the Antichrist next to a Christian who'd been trying to share the gospel with me, I'm guessing, on a bus ride. So uh, persecution is what evil people do to good people. Punishment is very, very different. Punishment is what just people give to evil people. Now, a lot of people could be very, very obnoxious and then say, I'm just being persecuted. Think of the Westboro Baptist Church. Don't think of them very often. It kind of hurts the soul. But they are very, very, very offensive, highly unbiblical in a whole load of stuff that they do. And they will tell themselves, we're being persecuted because of our righteousness. They're being persecuted because they are jerks. No one wants to be around them. Christians aren't happy with them because they're representing God so badly. And they are deliberately being contentious. Reminds me of some protesters that we had here not so long ago. It's that kind of, oh, I'm being persecuted for doing the Lord's work. No, people are responding angrily to you because you're really, really obnoxious. So there's a difference. I will be careful, like as modern science increases, I'm aware that people have narcissism. I'm aware that people have borderline personality disorder. So in some instances, it's not always deliberately being obnoxious. But there may be consequences to obnoxiousness. And let's see what God has to say about that instead of just assuming that we're righteous and we're being persecuted. So Jesus says, blessed are you persecuted, It's not punishment, he says, because of me. We're being more like Christ. His disciples didn't know this yet. Later in Matthew, he gives three clear indications that he is going to die. His disciples, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, after Judas left, of the remaining 11, 10 had horrific deaths. Persecution came to them. I'm not sure if they felt blessed at that exact moment, but I'm sure they can remember Jesus' teaching. The other one, John, was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos until he died. So the persecution did come to them. The Apostle Paul, although a persecutor of Christians, he was stoned. I kind of begin to imagine what it's like to be stoned. He was whipped three different times with 39 lashes. He was shipwrecked. He was put in jail, so many different elements, because of Jesus. So he was persecuted as well. 
So Jesus is saying, you'll be persecuted because of me. John Stott says this. He says, anyone who enters a relationship with Jesus Christ cannot help be transformed. So you have the message, if persecution isn't coming, are we really like Christ? It's a very different way to look at stuff. Sometimes we'll think, persecution's happening, things aren't turning out the way I wanted or expected. I must have heard God wrong. Jesus had not heard God wrong when he went to the cross. God had not made a mistake when John was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. The perfect thing happened when he was suffering. Heaven was rolled open, and he was given a vision of the greatness of God and what is to come. When anyone's suffering as a pastor, you weep with them. You also try and let them see just how big and good God is and what is to come. Light at the end of the tunnel. So he wasn't making a mistake. John probably was thinking, really? I'm stuck here on this hot island? And yet God knew all that was happening. He'd followed God faithfully. He was persecuted But he will tell you now, it was worth it. Every one of those disciples now will tell you it was worth it. Judas would not say that. Like when it counted, like are you a follower of Christ or are you not? Are you willing to go for worldly values, which is Jesus should have power and yet he's being meek? Judas kind of had good intentions, like I want to, this is the Messiah, what is he doing I'm going to sell him out because he's really messing up. We often get situations in our lives, we should get situations in our lives where we make a dumb choice because we're Christians, a dumb choice by worldly standards. Why would you be here on a Sunday? Why not lie in? Why not wake up? Have a coffee, have a cigarette, watch some sports. Around lunchtime, have a glass of wine. Just do what works for you. Why would people be here at seven in the morning setting up? Because Jesus calls us to do things that don't seem wise by worldly standards that make perfect sense when we're a follower of Christ. There's nothing better you could be doing than starting your week with other Christians, hearing about God, worshiping God. Uh, he then says, like, the kingdom of heaven. Again, it's talking about that eternal inheritance. Here's the, here's the bit that kind of stuck here, and I said, like, how can I teach this? It's at the beginning of verse 12. So all of this persecution goes, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. That is the last thing that's coming into my mind when persecution comes. My temptation is to sulk like a child or to lick my wounds like a dog. When it says rejoice and be glad, I'm not a masochist. Ooh, thank you for punching me. It doesn't work like that. If you're English, the whole mentality for English is keep your chin up. Don't show any emotion. Just push through. But that's not what it's saying here either. It's not saying be a stoic. And my reflex response with persecution is, ho, ho, let's have some. It's like, let's go it back. And when it's a situational persecution, this is what I sometimes do. I'm embarrassed to say this. I will sulk at God. I can't hear you. Well, I'm not going to have a conversation with you anymore. 
I'm not sure where you are, so I'm going to have my back turned on you. I remember sharing that with another pastor I work with. And he says, how's that working out for you? He says, terribly. And then you turn back and you're like, oh, but you, apparently we still need to learn. But in any case, he's saying, when stuff is happening, saying rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad means to keep God as your focus. When we talk about being self-righteous, you're climbing up this ladder and you're trying to step on other people. If you are godly, you will look up at God. To rejoice and be glad is to get a vision of God, to worship him because he's worthy of our worship in the midst of whatever circumstances we are going through. So your blessed means it's good with your soul. When we focus on God and worship him, it feeds our soul, whether we can feel it or not. Another way of saying it is like, keep your eyes on the prize. Jesus says, like, you will get the kingdom of heaven. He also says you'll be in great company. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. The reward in heaven is Jesus, face to face, forever. And he'll still have the scars on his hands. So not only will we know how utterly powerful he is, we'll also know who's willing to sacrifice everything for us. We'll be reminded of who he is, his great love. The second reward is for in the same way, it says, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It means, friends, keep your eyes on the prize. You'll be with Jesus forever, and you'll be in great company. The prophets were persecuted, Jesus was persecuted, the disciples were persecuted. Typically, the heroes of any given age are not overly popular at that given time. Christianity, we're not trying to be the most popular people. We're trying to bring the kingdom of God. Think of Abraham Lincoln in the 1860s. He is now known as the greatest American president that ever lived. At the time, that is not what people thought. He was ridiculed and scorned and ultimately assassinated. Think of Martin Luther King in the 1960s. We'll now look back and say he's a hero, similar mold to David. Loves God but has other issues. But he's a hero. And we look back and he was not treated as a hero. He was assassinated. Jesus is saying, you're going to be changing the world in your daily lives But people aren't going to be whooping at you. They're actually probably going to be persecuting you. But know this, everyone who has gone before you, they have been counted worthy. They are now seeing God and are with God. I've summarized the message. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you're spiritually bankrupt, it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you're at your lowest low, you're on a journey to finding God. Beatitude 2, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. When it's hit the fan or you've woken up, hung over and thought, I don't want to drink any more. And the response of that is, what have I done? Not, oh, I've been caught, but what have I done? I don't want to be me anymore. It makes you meek. It means you're not saying to God, of course you're going to save me. But I've got nothing to offer you, God. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. And you get to that stage of, I've got nothing to offer God. 
this self-awareness, this God-awareness, and then you thirst to be more like God. And it says you'll be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. When you repent, you are forgiven eternally. The next one, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown merciful. When God has forgiven everything, and you are connected to this never-ending supply of goodness and mercy, it's very difficult to put a dam in your heart and not share it with anyone else. That was not meant to be a pun. Uh, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When you are in God's presence, when you're receiving his mercy, and when you're being merciful to others, we don't need to wear masks anymore. We can just be sincere about who we are, where we are, and where we want to be. And then when you're pure in heart, you can be a peacemaker. You'll know that you've been made peace with God. That treaty has been signed, and you want to share that good news with others. And when you're doing all of these things... You'll be Christ's disciples because you will look so different. Your values will look so different from the worldly values. And so expect some degree of persecution. But keep looking forward. You're going to get heaven. Think of all the people that have come before you. Don't regret any of it. They were following Christ. This is the message that Christ gave your spiritual forefathers as you sat on the mount, sharing with them what it looked like. That was where your ancestors were learning how to live in the kingdom of God. And it's been passed down to us. And our kids are going to have no idea really how to do it, unless we do it ourselves. My son picks up all of my bad habits, and I don't try and teach him one of them. But he will also pick up my faith if I live my faith. I don't know why he loves to be here at 7 a.m. with me. Uh, But he sees his dad here, and he wants to be there. It's not bravo to me. It's just to say how we live impacts others, whether we are aware of it or not. Different responses that we can have to the Beatitudes. One, if you're thinking, wow, I live to all these worldly values, and I am not really sold out for Christ Today is the day. I can't think of a better day than Father's Day to run into a loving Heavenly Father's arms, forgetting all the junk of the past, forgetting all of the hurts, forgetting all of the hang-ups and the habits. Just say, I want you, I need you, help me live for you now. If that is you, as we're singing the final song, or even just after the service, we have Explore God booklets. When I came to faith, the Bible came alive. Maybe you've tried to read the Bible and it's still meh. Pray for God to just renew you. I can't think of a better day to come back to him. Another one might be we've we've lived in the church for a period of time and we're hurt by Christians. We are by nature sinners living together. And we've been hurt by one another. Instead of worrying about other people, the message of the Beatitudes is, who are you? What's your relationship like with God? Don't worry about anyone else. You're following Jesus, and are you going to follow him like he wants you to? Another one is, as you hear the Beatitudes, I didn't read in there. And this has just come on my past experience. 
I uh, don't have a huge issue with the megachurch. Blessed are the megachurch pastors who can be highly persuasive, who can have book deals, who can have TV channels. Blessed are they because theirs is the kingdom of God. No, you hear character qualities here. You could be a deaf person. You could be a blind person. You could be a child. You could be old and infirm and quadriplegic and still have the characteristics of what it looks like to follow Christ. You are gifted and the church needs you. You are part of the beauty of Christ's bride. Finally, your beloved. As you go through this discipleship journey, the thing you most stand up on, and it's where you're going to stay forever, is that you're beloved. Regardless of who we are, regardless of what we do, you are God's beloved child. And he loves you, and he always will. Friends, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to have a response time after I've prayed. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, you are a good, good father. Lord, as I was giving ways to respond to the message, if there's someone here today where it felt like this should be me, give their legs energy Take the spiritual attack away that says, people are going to notice me if I get an explore packet. Take all of that away, Father. And we'd love for a celebration today. And Lord, help us on that journey to understanding that we're beloved. Where persecution happens and we can still say we are blessed. We are blessed because of the reward we have in you and we are blessed because of those who came before us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, good, good father, hear the lyrics, feel the lyrics deep in your soul. And when we realize how good God is, the natural response is our arms open wide and we worship. When we don't know how God, good, good God is, we tend to cover ourselves up, afraid of being hurt. One of the ways we can acknowledge God is a good, good father is to pray for one another and to receive prayer. I don't know what is happening in your life, but we would love to pray for you. Good news, challenging news. Whatever it is, let us pray for you. Will you stand as we worship?